you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 106. Psalm 106. This week, you will be receiving an email with our recommended budget for 2021. We'll come to you by email. It will be considered for a church vote on the first Sunday in December. So please take time to look over that as it comes out. If you have questions, we will make sure to include some contact information for those that you could speak to with your questions related to that. Also, next Sunday, we've been announcing it for some while, but next Sunday we do have parent-child dedication service. So if you have not already signed up and would like to participate in that next Sunday, please let Autumn know in the church office no later than tomorrow. We could probably still make that happen if you let us know no later than tomorrow. You can see the other things that are listed there. Uh, I know that this wind is surprisingly chilly for all of us. I had this vest in my truck, and I'm very grateful for it. For the rest of you that are cold, we'll all just suffer through together. But if anybody needs this, this vest is 20 years old. It's older than most of our teen, well, than any of our teenagers and probably in a third of our congregation. And I just want you all to know it still works, right? It, it, I, I don't think of it as old. I think of it as classic. That's the way I like to look at it. All right. If you have your Bibles, we should be in Psalm 106. I'm not, but you should be. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. We're going to read Psalm 106, 1 through um, 12, and then we're going to turn over, at least in my Bible, we're going to flip the page, and yours, it might be on the same page, and we're going to read the last two verses of Psalm 106, verses 47 and 48, all right? Listen now. For this is God's word. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Both we sin and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry. And he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. Then turn over with me to verse 47. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, thank you for loving us and sending us your word. I pray, Lord God, as we've gathered this morning, that the word of God would pierce our hearts, that, Father, you would open our minds and our lives to better show thanksgiving to you. May we be reminded, Lord God, that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. We give you praise and honor. Please, Lord God, speak through me in spite of my weakness and frailties. I pray that, God, this sermon 
would far surpass my abilities and that you would receive all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So here it is at Thanksgiving, and we're continuing through a series of sermons on Thanksgiving. Um, and my Bible is, this is the reason I preach on an iPad outside, by the way, because the wind really gets in the way of a lot of things. Um, and, but as we think about Thanksgiving, to whom do you give thanks? This past Sunday, we had our annual church-wide Thanksgiving meal. It was outdoors and at least somewhat socially distanced in our effort to try and make safe places and safe ways for you all to celebrate together. But uh, one thing that's become something of a tradition here at our church is for the church to also take time during our regular Thanksgiving celebration and show gratitude toward uh, the church staff. And so we were appreciated with our, uh, all the ladies got flowers and uh, uh, the men didn't get flowers, but everybody else, we had a, we had a good time. The church uh, was very gracious and kind uh, to the pastoral staff and, and to the rest of the staff. Uh, but also, there was a basket for people to drop cards off. And I got some really cool cards last week. I had some homemade cards from some of our kids, which I appreciated. I had some uh, uh, store-bought cards with nice little notes in them, which I appreciated. But also, I, I had a couple of people that, that gave me some gift cards, which I am very grateful for. However, nobody is going to get a, a thank you card from me. And the reason nobody's going to get a thank you card is because I opened up those cards and I laid them on the counter at our house. And, and then the kids went through and read the cards, which is, you know what? And, and, and I'm honest about this. I'm so thankful that as your pastor, when y'all write me a note, I can leave it on the counter for my children to read and have a great confidence. And when they read it, they will love their church more and not less. That's, that's, that's an important thing. But as a result of that, I had left everything together and there were a few gift cards that fell out. And I don't know who sent them to me. I have absolutely no idea. Somebody was kind enough to uh, fuel my, my passion and love for coffee with a Starbucks gift card, and I'm very grateful for that. Somebody gave us a Lowe's gift card, which will help to offset some of the costs for Angela's love for external and internal Christmas illumination. And I appreciate that. But I can't thank anybody for it because I don't know where it came from. I don't know to whom I should be thankful. Well, how often is it that maybe at Thanksgiving or even at other times of the year that we neglect to direct our thanks in the right place, in the right direction, to the right person? Do you know who to thank for the blessings you have received? I've often thought that Thanksgiving would be a challenging holiday for an atheist to observe or to celebrate because I'm not exactly sure how it is that we would show large-scale thanksgiving if we do not have a person to whom we are thankful. This morning in Psalm 106, I want us to see four reasons for why it is that we should be giving our thanks to God and to God alone. Now, I want to be honest with you. This is a pretty rudimentary sermon. I've got a pretty good confidence that many of you out here could preach this message today. And I'm okay with that. Because the reality is 
that the deep things of the Lord that we need to know to give him thanks are spelled out in black and white and sort of jump off the page at us. Folks, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand that God is worthy of worship and praise. And you certainly do not have to be a skilled theologian to recognize and understand that God deserves our thanksgiving. This morning, I want you to see, first of all, that we should give thanks to God because He is good. He's good. So the Bible says right there in Psalm 106.1, He is good. Now, when we use this word good, the idea or, or the bigger picture uh, definition for us to grasp is that He is righteous and praiseworthy. Now, we could also say that God is good and that he is perfect and sinless. We could also say that God is good and that he does good things. You understand that every definition of good, and there are many, every one of those definitions is rightly applied to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. I was listening to a podcast this week, and I wasn't aware of this, but apparently in the early days of Google, they had a mantra, sort of a, 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 a statement that was initially an unwritten rule that became sort of codified into their code of conduct, and it was, do no evil. Do no evil. I hope that they'll continue to be that way. I'm not always sure that's the case. But y'all, as we consider what it looks like, or, or excuse me, who God is, it's not just that he does no evil, he is good. You understand that the reason that Google needed to adopt a mantra of do no evil is because the ability for them to do good, they were concerned that if their effort was to do good, that something that one person might deem as being good for him might be deemed as being bad for somebody else. But when we think about the Lord, there is no um, struggle in definition here. Everything that God does is good, period. It is good all the time. There's no fear that there's an aspect or a characteristic or nature of God that will be good over here and that will be evil on this side. God is good, period. God is good all the time, as we used to say in my church growing up. Goodness is one of God's defining characteristics. And because he's good, he deserves our thanks. Y'all, in a world that is filled with so much evil and strife and anger and pain and hatred, can we not occasionally just look up to the Lord and say thank you? Because in this world of ugliness, you alone are good. Always good. Eternally good. Forever good. And he deserves our thanksgiving as a result of that. Secondly, this morning, we give thanks to God because he is loving. Again, we see that in Psalm 106.1. Give thanks to the Lord because he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. He is loving. Now, we know that God is love. That's a primary aspect of his nature. But love isn't just what God is. It's also what God does. God is love, period. But we also get to say that God loves you. God loves you. 
You can put your name right in there and say, God loves you. Uh, I don't remember if Rick Warren coined this or if it came from somewhere else, but uh, you've heard people say this through the years. You can take John 3, 16, say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But we can also insert our own name right there. For God so loved Craig that he gave his only son. For God so loved Sam. For God so loved Courtney, for God so loved, insert whomever you will in this moment. God loved you that much and continues to love you so much that he sent Jesus to die for your sins. God loves you. And so God loves in the big things. But do you know that God doesn't just love in the big things? Yes, there is no greater love than that a man would lay down his life for his friends, especially the God-man himself. But consider that God loves even in small ways. Sunsets, puppies, friendship, relationships, children. God could have made us just like other animals. We would behave out of instinct and hormone drive. That's kind of what teenagers are, just for the record. Some of y'all are still getting that. It's okay. It's all right. See, that's our responsibility as parents, to disciple them out of their instinctual hormone drive and into, you know, the kind of people that God created them to be. And for those of you that, side note, for those of you that have already come through that stage, your responsibility is to pray for the rest of us. <laughs> All right. Uh, but, but, you know, God could have made us just like other animals. We'd behave out of instinct and hormone drive, but instead God gave us the ability to have relationships. And remember, it's, it's not only romantic relationships. I love those, uh, th those, that, that. I only have one, just so we're clear. <laughs> I love you, honey, wherever you are. I'm so glad that you're my wife. <laughs> Anyone else would have killed me by now. Um, you know, obviously we celebrate that. But it's not just that, is it? God's given us friendships, and, and we live in a, in, a, in a day and an age where I, I really believe friendships have fallen on hard times. I mean real friendships. I think Facebook is at least partly to blame for this. Because I have, you know, 1,500 or I don't, ha I don't know how many people I have on Facebook that I've connected with. And they're called my Facebook friends. They are not my friends. And y'all, that's not a mean thing for me to say to say that. And if you believe that the epitome of friendship is a connection on Facebook, you do not have a quality understanding of what friendship actually is. God's given us the opportunity to actually be united with others, to walk with them, to weep with them, to celebrate with them. God's given us the opportunity to not just have those people that we allow to see snapshots of our life through the beautiful pictures we post on our social media feed, but instead to be those people who walk with us as we navigate the life of teenage years, as we navigate the life of parenting years. Those people that see us in the good and the bad, those people that show up when everybody else runs out, God's given us that, and it's a privilege and a blessing from the Lord. Folks, this is a side note on this sermon, but let me urge you, let me remind you, you need friends, flesh and blood friends. 
friends that are more than electronic connection. You need those people that will call you on the telephone or come find you wherever you are. I'll never forget, I got a phone call some years back, a friend that, uh, uh, that, that, that was in common with another friend, and he said, Craig, I need you to go find this guy. He said, I, I've moved. I'm nowhere near him. I can't get in touch with him. I need you to go find him. I said, where is he? I don't know, but you need to go find him. I'm concerned for him. And Craig, you need to be concerned for him. I dropped everything. I got in my truck. I left my office, and I went and found that guy. I had to drive, and I had to go find him. And I sat with him, flesh and blood. And we sat across from one another, and he wept as he shared with me how he had destroyed his life. He needed a friend really bad, somebody that would get to him in his moment of need. Folks, God's given us this privilege to have relationships, and we should give him thanks because in his love, he created us to be able to have them and to enjoy them. You need friends. That's one of the best beautiful, best blessings of a healthy church family. Relationships that are, that are more than just Sunday morning relationships. Side note, last one I hope. Those of you that are under the age of about 24, okay? Y'all need friends that can press the flesh with you in real life. Parents, you need to make sure that you're creating environments where your children are building actual, real relationships. Because when life falls apart on them, and it will, you need to make sure as best as you can that they have some godly friends in their life who they'll run to when they won't run to you. And godly friends who will run to them when you don't even know what's going on in their life. Parents, put your children in places where they will build real friendships. Where is that? Make no mistake, it happens right here. Your kids need real friends. God could have made us just like these other animals, and we wouldn't enjoy that, but he, he didn't. And he gave us the ability to enjoy relationships. What about the ability to enjoy a sunset? Aubrey and I went deer hunting together last night. Aubrey didn't hush the whole time we were there. She's pretty and fun. But she went, I said, shh. She's elbowing me. That's what I'm doing, in case y'all didn't figure that out. She's elbowing me. She said, look at that sunset. I don't care about the sunset. But look at it, Daddy's so pretty. Does it ever occur to you that God gives us the ability to appreciate beauty? Why does God give us that? Why do we appreciate beauty? Do you, my dog, I've got the best dog in America. I'm sorry for the rest of you. But do you know that for all the amazing things he does, I've never caught him just sitting and staring at a sunset. He never, he never pawed me with his little paw and kind of nudged me so I'd look up and go, oh, look at the sun. Right? He, he might lick his front leg, but he doesn't look at the sun. He doesn't appreciate that. He doesn't. They don't appreciate artwork. You know that God gives us the ability to appreciate art? Whether that art be a, a, a vehicle that's been created with the, the imagination and the engineering of the human mind 
or a red fox that was glued together out of construction paper. God's given us the ability to appreciate beauty. Why would God do that? Because God loves you. When's the last time that you looked at something beautiful and you didn't just go, wow, that's awesome. Instead you went, wow, that's awesome. And God, why in the world would you allow me to experience such joy over this? God loves us in the big things, and for that, we, we do a decent job of celebrating and thanking him. I don't meet many believers who go, yeah, God saved me and Jesus died. All right. People get pretty excited about that. But, folks, we should also get excited about the fact that, man, there is a deep, rich brown involved in those boots right there. I had one of my kids talk to me the other day about the 15 different shades of whatever color. I, all I see is like blue, green, and red. My girls, they're different. I think it's aqua maroon. What does that even mean? I have no idea. But they see all of this, and it just kind of comes flooding in, and God's given us this ability to do that. God is worthy of our thanks because he not only loves us, but he is loving and loves us even in the small ways that enable us to better experience and enjoy life. You're going to eat a Thanksgiving meal this week. Some of you will eat it just with your, your, your own family. Some of you will face the risks of gathering with others and you, you will gather and you will eat a Thanksgiving meal some of you look forward to the turkey. Others only eat the turkey because it's a Thanksgiving tradition. But there will be food galore and all these different tastes. And my wife's already promised me that she's going to make me a carrot cake. And y'all, I can almost taste it already. I'm so excited. But in that moment, as all of those taste buds explode, do we ever take just a moment and not only thank the person who made it, but to look up and say, Lord God, this isn't just bland food that I get to eat. I'm enjoying every by. I was reading something about Lewis and Clark's expedition, and in one of their journals, they wrote, life is pretty bland. All we have is poor elk meat and no salt to season it, but I think we're going to make it. Meat without salt, right? It will sustain you. You won't die, but you won't enjoy those things. God could have relegated us to lives eating poor elk meat without salt but instead he's enabled us to enjoy things like brisket and once you've had that everything else kind of pales in comparison right what a god that gives us the ability to appreciate and to enjoy those things number three we thank god because he is merciful now if we go back and we look at at verses four through twelve we get the psalmist recounting this history of the Israelites disobeying the Lord. Now, let's be honest. It'd be one thing if God was graceful and loving toward us because we deserve it, but we don't. And there's something about a proper thanksgiving that drives us to appreciate just how merciful God is. God is worthy of our thanksgiving because he is merciful. And as we give him thanks, we begin to appreciate just how merciful God is. It's a reciprocal agreement. There's something about thanksgiving that causes us to consider our sinful estate. And when we are thankful, we become more repentant. 
Just consider the words of the psalmist. Both we and our fathers have sinned. The psalmist acknowledged not only his sin, but the sin of his fathers, of his ancestors. When he considered God's mercy, he looked at it from a big picture. That God is merciful and has been merciful. I exist only because God has chosen to make it so. And then watch, he says, he points out this way. God could have ended it all with the sin of my fathers, but instead he was merciful then and he continues to be merciful today. In our American sort of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps mindset, the idea that we would be repentant for sins in the past just flies against everything we want to believe. But the reality is that when we read the Scriptures, the more people fall in love with the Lord, the more open they are to repenting not only of the sins that they've committed, but to even repenting of, of the sins of their families, of their fathers, of those who have come on before them. And they do that as an appreciation of the fact that God is merciful. You see, the reality is if our ancestors, and choose which ancestor you want, had gotten what they deserved, God would have wiped them off the face of the planet long before you were even a twinkle in your mama's eye. But God has been merciful since the time of Adam and Eve to overlook even the sins of our parents and our ancestors and our ancient parents well beyond we could even imagine and to overlook even our own sins in, in the present time and to show us love in spite of ourselves. The question often gets asked, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? But it's really a terrible question, isn't it? Because that question presupposes that all of us are deserving of, of God's mercy and grace. But if we approach it from a biblical perspective, the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Every single one of us. That we are in enmity with God because of our sin. We don't deserve good things in this life. None of us are good enough to deserve that. We deserve God's wrath. But God in His grace and His mercy has shown forbearance. And so as we thank the Lord, as we thank the Lord for all of his blessings, we begin to become more and more aware of just how dependent we are upon him for those blessings. I recognize my sin more and more every day when I give God the praise and the glory for all that he's done for me. What is it that keeps us from being thankful and makes us unwilling to acknowledge God's mercy and even our sins and the sins of our forebears? It's a big, ugly, nasty word that starts with a P and ends with ride. Pride. Oh, in my pride, I go, well, I, 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 I'm not my fault. I'm not worried about But as I begin to dig into my own sinful estate and the overwhelming, everlasting, eternal mercy of God, Mercy. I begin to recognize that I am a recipient of blessings that come down from generations of God's mercy. Then my ancestors should have been wiped off the face of the planet, but God, who is rich in mercy, chose to overlook their sin for the time being to make it possible that I might stand before you today as a saved sinner 
living with eager anticipation of the realization of God's coming kingdom. Thank God because he is merciful. Thank God because he lets you live, he lets you breathe, and he blesses you and me in spite of you and me. He's rich in mercy. And then finally this morning, thank God because he is eternal. For a long time, craftsmen tools were so synonymous with their warranty that their warranty became the standard against which all other warranties were judged. You could occasionally even hear another company, they wouldn't have written it, but another company that would advertise as a product as having a craftsman-style warranty. And now, a craftsman warranty was great, right? It didn't matter what condition that wrench was in. If you picked it up on the side of the road in 47 pieces and you just walked into Sears and you said, I have this wrench to return, those sweet, kind people at Sears would go, oh, okay, go pick you out a new wrench. And you'd go pick you out a new wrench. And, you know, the story on Craftsman Tools, they were, they were pretty good tools, or I guess they continue to be. They're pretty good. They're not the best, but they're pretty good. And, and when you recognize that if you, you know, break that screwdriver using it as uh, an ice scraper, you can just take it in and they'll give you a new one, if, if, whatever, it, whatever it is. But here's the reality. A warranty is only as good as the company that stands behind it. Sears went out of business. I can't take a wrench to Sears anymore because I don't have a Sears. Recently, I came across a company that advertised a lifetime warranty on their items. And I liked what I was looking at. I was like, eh, maybe I'll put that on my Christmas list. Now, they charged a, they charged a, a, a prime price because all of their products came with a lifetime warranty. I said, man, I've never heard of this company, but what an amazing story. Lifetime warranty. And I began to read the fine print, and I began to read the about information on the company and the company had been in business for five years and they were offering a lifetime warranty and i couldn't help but wonder how much value is there for this lifetime warranty for a company that might not make it through 2021 the eternal nature of god means that he doesn't change but it also means you don't have to worry worry that the warranty is going to run out we need not fear that I'm going to stand before the Lord one day and go, oh, well, Jesus said that I was his, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We need not fear that we'll stand there and God will go, oh, well, that was, that was 2,000 years ago, but turns out the lifespan on that warranty was just 2,100 years, and it's not going to work today. Look right there at the very end of Psalm 106. Those last two verses that we saw. Save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Isn't that amazing? The psalmist says, save us because, God, we want to return our thanks to you. Then verse 48, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, amen, praise the Lord. The God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. We go all the way back to verse 1, and we are reminded that not only do we give thanks to the Lord for His good and that He loves, but His steadfast love endures how long? Forever. This is the eternal nature of God. He is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't have to be afraid 
that something is going to shift in God's character or in God's nature or in God's commitment to us. We give thanks to the Lord because we have an absolute and utmost confidence that the promises that he has made in this word are good, not only yesterday, not only today, not only tomorrow, but for all eternity. The God who has no beginning and no ending has spoken, and his word will never fail. I read some news just this morning. It was interesting for me to read news that was six months old. And six months ago, it seemed like that news story was going to change the entire world. And six months later, nobody even remembers it. Listen, we're living in 2020. Our families found a Thanksgiving song that we've enjoyed this year. And it says something like, we've made it through the hardest year in history, the longest year in history. Well, that's probably not true. There have been some things that really and truly our world experienced that in many ways were far worse than what we're dealing with today. But certainly it has been unbelievably challenging in a number of ways. But watch this. About a third of the people that are gathered with us here this morning are 18 years old or under. That's the demographic makeup of our church. If you're 18 years old or under, five years from now, 2020 is just not going to seem like that big a deal. There's just this weird thing in our brains. We'll just forget how bad it was. Keep a journal for 2020 so you can go back and relive it. It's terrifying. Um, but y'all, God, God's not that way. What he says yesterday or 2,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago, folks, it is solid. It is unmoving. It is the rock in the ground of truth. And you can give thanks to him because he'll never tell you one day that this is true and the next day that it is false. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We've just come through, and I guess we're still kind of living through this wild election season. And one of the things that has amazed me has been to see how often we've seen elected or hope to be elected officials say one thing and then one month later say, well, I never said that. Well, that's not what I meant. Or, of course, I would never say that. Just this past week, there was this crazy news conference with the governor of New York assuring everyone that the New York City schools wouldn't close, even though the, the mayor of New York City was telling everybody at the exact same time that we're closing the New York City schools. Nobody knows what in the world they're doing or what's going on. But what God has said will be, and it will be for all of eternity. And as a result of that, God deserves our praise and our glory. Why? Why? Why can God be so eternally confident in his word? Why do we never fear that God's going to change his mind? Because he is eternal. He sees the past, the present, and the future all as one snapshot of eternity. God knows what was, what is, and what will be. So when God speaks, he's in absolute and utter and total control. It's called history for a reason. It's his story. He's writing it. And so we need not fear that God will change.
And folks, as we lean up to Thanksgiving Day, I would urge you to give thanks to the Lord because He is eternal. In conclusion, where does that leave us? It leaves us, as I said in the very beginning, with a relatively rudimentary message this morning, but a strong reminder that we need not be Bible scholars or trained theologians to celebrate Thanksgiving in a way that honors the Lord. To whom do you give thanks? Let me urge you, give thanks to God because he is good. Give thanks to God because he is loving in the big things and the small things. Give thanks to God because he is merciful. You're still here, and that's a testimony to God's mercy in your life. Then finally, give thanks to God because he is eternal. His warranty will never run out, and what he has said will be now and always. As we sing in just a moment, there may be some of you that have never really celebrated a Thanksgiving. I mean, you know, you've been kind of thankful. But you've never taken the time to be thankful to the Lord. Thankful to the God who has created you and given you all things. Perhaps that's because you've never known him. Perhaps you've never appreciated the fact that this God loves you that much. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, you don't have a relationship with him, I'd love to speak with you this morning about what it means to follow him. Nothing would give me more pleasure today than to do that. But for most of you, many of you who are here today, I hope that as we stand to sing this morning, that you will stand with hearts overflowing with thanksgiving to the God who has given you so much and is worthy of all of your praise and your glory and your honor. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, I pray that your word would work to make us more thankful. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move within us to make us more thankful. Make us, God, aware not only of our blessings. God, make us aware even of our sin so that we may praise you all the more. Forgive us, be with us as we sing, in Jesus' name, amen.